welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D, which of course is brought to you by EN World Live. Uh, I'm the host Jessica and this week we have, would it be fair to say a veteran of the tabletop RPG industry, Rob? Uh, so we have Rob here with us and we'll be talking about 13 Age 2nd Edition, um, which was voted as one of the most anticipated TTRPGs of 2023 on EN World. So if you do have any questions, please pop them in the chat and we'll try and answer them live. So Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. So if you were, if people aren't familiar with, with you and, and what you've done in the industry, how would you introduce yourself? What, do you have a little spiel for your introductions? Like when you do panel shows and interviews? I think in the old days, I remember when I was uh, handing out business cards for jobs, I mm-hmm. used to say uh, left brain, right brain, ambidextrous um, okay. game designer. And that was partly because I was doing both game design with mechanics and then writing. And mm-hmm. um, I think these days, uh, I it's definitely the case that I learned an incredible amount while working at Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to like be involved in the fourth edition of D&D. And mm-hmm. I also worked an awful lot with Jonathan Tweet, um, mm-hmm. who is my design partner right you know, now on 13th Age. Yep. And, uh, but I end up doing both role-playing games and card games and board games. Mm-hmm. And, and every once in a while, those turn into um, digital games. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of a, at this moment, I'm a gaming omnivore. And, Amazing. Uh, yeah. And so, um, but we're here to talk about tabletop role-playing games. Which I, which somehow entered my life at a time when they hadn't entered nearly anybody else's, and it's kind of bizarre to think about how yes. how weird that path really was back then. Well, yeah, I mean, I ask all guests what their first experience with role playing games was, and yours is is very classic back in the seventies. So, if you, I think you've said it online before, but just in case people aren't familiar with your your origin story, as it were, if you're a comic book hero, tell us about yeah. your first role playing experience. I was living in Germany. My dad commanded nuclear missile bases there, wow. huh, which was a crazy, <laughs> which was a crazy thing. And so cool. um, it was 1972. Mm-hmm. I got a. There was a Boys Life magazine, and I ordered the catalog um, that mm-hmm. showed military soldiers on the back of it, and it was a tiny little blurb. Mm-hmm. And it turned out the catalog was from the company that um, Lowry's Hobbies that would later be involved with printing D and D. So. Okay. So in 1972, I started buying war games from them, like Fight in the Skies, which mm-hmm. later became a TSR role-playing game called Dawn Patrol and okay. uh, World War I airplanes. And then in 1974, when we moved back to the United States at the end of the year, I think right, I, I probably got the game in 75. I think my parents let me buy mm-hmm. it like as my own Christmas present to myself or something when I was 10. Nice. And so then... You know, I get the first uh, edition of D and D, and that was a brown box, um, three books, and yeah. there was nobody else in the state of Kansas that I knew of who knew it or had heard of it, or yeah. So in those days, I didn't know that dice existed, like never, like with money shapes. You know, I had six yeah. sided dice, stuff like that. So as a as a fourth, as a fifth grader and a sixth grader, I tried to like figure out how to play. Later mm-hmm. on, I found some other games that really actually made me realize that D&D must make sense in its own right. And I, mm-hmm. I went back to it and figured more out. And um, so, yeah, I was at first there was a year there were, there were years when I either when I had or had played every role playing game that existed in mm-hmm. the very early days. But, you know, that changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the so, case today. No, not the case today. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, I got um I got involved in writing for a, a fanzine called Alarms and Excursions when I was in high mm-hmm. school. And that was a magazine that a lot of really successful role-playing game designers wrote for for fun, like Lee mm-hmm. Gold. Um, she runs it out of California. And mm-hmm. there were people like Dave Hargrave, who did the Arduin Grimoire, and Greg Stafford, who um, did uh, Glorantha and RuneQuest. And it, actually, if you name early role-playing game writers and some of the late ones, they were mm-hmm. maybe writing for that magazine and that's how i got to be um friends with robin laws mm-hmm. who um he eventually started giving me i think he was giving me work he said he didn't have time to finish it but i think he was just being nice to me oh and, um, <laughs> i'm sure that's not the case so right about that so then uh that was more like mm-hmm. 20 years after i had originally that would be like the early 90s okay that I first got into doing pro stuff so amazing so like 
obviously we talked about how the the role playing scene is different from the 90s cuz there were like fewer games like now there's thousands of games released every year how do you think the professional industry has changed you know between now and and the 90s or what differences have you noticed working throughout that time i think the the first obvious big one is that gaming is more inclusive because when mm-hmm. it started off it had it, it you know it, it was an outgrowth of wargaming um, mm-hmm. The same people who've been really involved in, uh, you know, Gary Gygax was a war game designer mm-hmm. um, who was super, super busy with fanzines and everything like for war games all across America and uh, less the world. Um, but that meant that it was um, largely, largely male at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the games, you know, there were many games that were, I would say, more friendly to computer engineers than they were to um uh, people who wanted to like tell basically do narratives that were interesting and psychological, sure. emotional dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the old the old school gaming at the time, like right now, um, first of all, the market is completely different because if you can't depend on game distribution, you might be able to depend on uh, kickstarting a product yourself and finding people who really love what you're doing sure. and are going to support you that way. And that's a, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a giant, giant difference. I mean, I think in my yeah. era, you know, here we were, paying a little money to go ahead and publish in a fanzine like paying for the cost of the pages printed whereas mm-hmm. you know now that that fanzine still exists it is still mm-hmm. going still going strong but people have the ability to go ahead and produce their own work and share mm-hmm. it um far more than they did before sure. um, so that's obviously the big one i mean that's one of the huge mm-hmm. things so and uh and and if you look at pictures of the early gaming conventions, I mean, there were hardly mm-hmm. any women there. You know, there were some, but yeah. and you know, like Lee Gold, for example, was like uh, was, but but there were not that many um, female creators mm-hmm. um, compared to men. Yeah, at all. I definitely noticed that as well because I've been playing. N- not, I haven't been in the industry since the '90s, like yourself. Uh, I have been alive that amount of time though but like when i started really getting into (laughs) when i really started getting into role-playing games you know a a decade or so ago when i went to conventions like it's it's changed even over the last 10 Mm -hmm. years like so much and like you say it's really great to see loads of different people playing different different games and telling different stories um but yeah one thing i did want to touch upon as, as you mentioned previously that you did work for kind of wizards of the coast and worked on fourth edition of of D. do you have any fun stories from that time or and any kind of particular parts of that that you're really proud of that you'd like that i'm giving you permission to brag about right now Ralph. <laughs> huh. so the fourth edition thing was like the weirdest big project i'd ever been involved in okay. because like being, and I, I will honestly say, I mean, when you're asking me for a good story and like one thing that occurs to me is that okay. I learned a heck of a lot about like, like being a leader, but partially mm-hmm. that's because of like the stumbles along the way. Okay. Um, so I, I, I loved, um, we got to, here's an example of one thing that was really fun. Like okay. um, we, the game had a, was like struggling a little bit with the way powers worked and stuff. And at some point, mm-hmm. there was a um, there was a meeting where um, the a development team was getting together to like talk about how to handle all the powers. And uh, it was fun to watch. There was a solution, which was to uh, go ahead and have at will powers and counter powers and daily powers and to call them by sort of like the uh, lights on a Christmas tree uh, mm-hmm. either black, green and red or red, red, green, yellow, something like that. And uh, two people with the meeting came up with the idea at the exact same time separately and okay. was able to like watch that happen as they like, as one person's <laughs> writing on the board saying the meaning but the other person to set it. And it was uh, Rich Baker and Mike Merles were simultaneously coming up with this idea and everybody at the table was going, oh, in the room was going, oh, yes, this is a wonderful and wonderful idea. And bizarrely, we'd watch two people come up with it at almost the same moment. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty fun one. Uh, I was, I also, when D&D first released, I was in the Tower of London. And um, I, I had gotten flown over okay. there. And so I was, I was <laughs> yeah. able to, like, I was in the Tower of London, like running a game, uh, basically helping, you know, teach everybody how to play. Mm-hmm. And it turned out years later that there were some really, really fun people there. 
And it turned out years later, I would work with some of them because some of them were from Pell Grain and others yeah. were, you know, for, uh, people who, you know, later later entered my life. And so the weird part is everybody says, oh, yeah, we were at the Tower of London. And in fact, like they're bringing out my signature on books. And I'm going, what? I knew you then. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was funny. That's amazing. I love how you say so offhand. So I was running a, a game in the Tower of London, you know, as if that's something so commonplace and every day that we're all like, of course, yeah, as we do, as we do on the weekends all the time. Um, but yeah, but Pelgrim Press, as you mentioned, I'll, I'll use this as a segue because uh, they, Pelgrim Press are the publishers of um, 13th Age, who you work with there. Yeah. Um, which is what we're here to talk about. And we have some people in the comments who are excited to talk about that. <laughs> I see, uh, so, I see. <laughs> so let's get into the meat of it. If you're watching live and you have any questions, uh, please pop them in the chat. If you're listening to the podcast, we'll put links in the show notes where you can probably go and pester Rob for, for details later as well. Um, so Rob, a lot of people here are familiar with 13th Age, but in case some people watching or listening are not, could you give us a quick uh, kind of overview of the system and what 13th Age, the first edition, uh, kind of sure. is all about. Jonathan Tweed and I have been playing together since maybe 1998. Um, I got to start in his original third edition game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he was lead designer on third and I was lead designer on fourth. So after we had both were out of Wizards and we really mm -hmm. wanted to do something together, um, we talked about what to do. And the we, we decided let's go ahead and do a... Um, a fantasy role-playing game, and uh, you know the, the title, not D and D, is is there's, there's <laughs> always that twist of irony because yeah. um, the the OGL mm. allowed us to go ahead and be able to say that at that time. Yes, and yeah, uh, yeah hooray for that. And uh, we, I, I think, on it, uh, honestly, I remember that when we first started out, there was some talk about doing the D and Dest of all possible D and Ds. We let go of that. I, cause okay. it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right path once we were actually like really creating the game. Um, mm -hmm. So the things that I'm really, really happy about um, 13th age are mm -hmm. that it man it's, it aims to go ahead and satisfy players who want to really be involved in what's interesting about battles on the table and like character mm -hmm. interactions with monsters and to be fun for the game master that way with monster mm -hmm. powers that are really interesting and unpredictable. Um, and it also, seems to work for people who are much more interested in using the role-playing forum to like tell stories and uh, bring mm -hmm. their characters out. And uh, when I talk about like the what's changed in the gaming industry, one of the big yeah. things that changed in the gaming industry is indie RPGs. Um, mm -hmm. And we borrowed and adapted certain ideas mm -hmm. that are more common in indie RPGs and put, brought them to a, a D20 rolling game. And okay. um, you know, as for example, with Thirteenth Age, you start off when you make a character, you're you're but you're heroes. It's a high level game, um, in the sense of like it's a high fantasy game, and you mm -hmm. start off by saying there is something unique about my character, or if mm -hmm. it's not unique, at least at least it's at least very very interesting. And mm -hmm. uh, as an example, you know, in, in the game we're running right now, one of the characters is a sentient magical staff. Of Another course. one is a Classic. Dragonic, who is the last survivor of the cosmic lineage. Mm -hmm. um, another is the former high policeman of Drakenhall, which is essentially meaning he's a criminal, but he was visual about it. Um, okay. And you know, and my character is a, a half-orc dwarf troll. Um, so you, we ask players to all those characters have something unique about them that an entire campaign could be organized around. And we're sure. essentially telling players, tell the GM something you want the campaign to be about. Um, mm -hmm. And we also, we, that's our skill system too, mm -hmm. um, because we will go ahead and instead of saying, oh, you're plus five on horse riding, we'll ask players to tell us what their character's history is. And then we will, if whenever there's a skill check, it was, you'll ask the character, do you have any backgrounds that'll help you in this? And when the mm -hmm. player character says, oh yeah, I was, I have three points in being a sous chef in a monster restaurant. And you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I think that actually is going to be able to help you identify this, 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 uh, this weird withered corpse that you've discovered, like in this trap, maybe that will help you, you know? And so I then you get to that. add the background. Um, yeah. Characters get to, you know, so the game starts out asking people to help contribute to the world. Um, mm -hmm. when you're making your character backgrounds and your one unique thing, there is no giant book 
of truth about the world. This very mm -hmm. sketchy, sketchy, we call it half designed, but here's the name of a city and here's one or two cool things about it. And the rest hopefully is up to your, um, your campaign. And, uh, and it, I was, as an example, just of how fun this is. Okay, let me see if I can come up with something new instead of use the old. <laughs> I always do this uh, acrobat from the, the the Diabolus Circus of Hell. Okay, mm -hmm. um, you make up a character and you tell the game master. Actually, um, my character's background, and this isn't even their unique, is that they're the second mate on the third, the priestess's third lunar mission. And then the game sure. master's okay. like, oh. So all of a sudden, this fantasy world has missions to the moon run mm -hmm. by the the high holy priestess, and it's so commonplace that there have been at least three of them. And that's your character's background. And so that means that you know the campaign is going to be about some very interesting things that are going to come out of what that character that player does. Um, I'm talking about the. You got me rambling. I'm talking about the story stuff. It's we not rambling. It's an ah, interview. I ask good, you questions good. and I want you to talk about stuff. This is perfect. <laughs> mechanically, the things that I think that distinguish the game that are the most fun are that we sort of knew, you know, we didn't expect to be hugely successful. We we thought we were oh. putting out a, we, no, we didn't expect what to have a game. What a surprise this was we, then. <laughs> we didn't expect to have a game line. We just thought we were doing one book, mm -hmm. which kind of I screwed up when I put the monk on the cover and didn't finish the monk in time. But, you know, so we had to do two books. Mm -hmm. um, so we were trying to provide a toolkit that people would be able to use for games. So we made things up that we thought, you know, any version of D&D &D or any mm -hmm. other role-playing games too might use something called the escalation die. And that is sure. that every round, you, the uh, I, where'd my giant D6 go? I have one that's about this big, but it's too far away. Um, you, it we'll goes up by one. one yeah, sure. Oh my God, there yeah. you go. All right. So at the end of the <laughs> first round, it goes to one. Yeah. And, then it go, and then at the end of the second round, it goes to two. And the player characters add that to yeah. their attacks. And what mm -hmm. it means is our math starts the monsters out as really, really threatening so that people feel like, oh no, this is a serious situation. That's how the monsters yeah, yeah. feel. But by mm -hmm. the time you get to the fourth and fifth round, mm -hmm. the player characters are heroes and they're doing really, really of well. Course. And so that type of innovation was something, you no, know, we thought that other games could use it and some have, um, mm -hmm. it, but 13th Age is kind of, it's, we try to fill every page to make every page worthwhile with little ideas and things that will be entertaining and, and mechanically fun. And um, mm -hmm. so far, so good. Um, and this would be the segue towards second edition. Yes, I was it. just going to say. Yeah, let's segue <laughs> into second edition. All right. Let's do well, it really naturally. So, so, Rob, that was first edition. <laughs> I hear <laughs> announced just last year uh, was that 13th Age second edition uh, will be on its way to us. And you are currently working on it now. Uh, and as you mentioned, just before the show started, going through a pile of uh, playtest feedback um, for the I game. Think, I, I think it was John Nephew of Atlas mm -hmm. Games who's first taught me the, the expression high-class problem. So uh -huh. the, the high-class problem is yeah. that we've got more than 150 playtest reports, and right. many of them are over 30 pages long. So I'm. Great. this is on the first version of the packet of... Uh, the second edition. So we've okay. got an amazing amount of really good feedback. And even the feedback that I think is possibly wrong or I can't use is still usually good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it, it is also has reasons why if it can't be if it can't be addressed in the way they're suggesting, it might mm -hmm. be able to be addressed a different way. And exactly. so um, we are presently yeah. I'm very much in the middle of working through the feedback, um, and uh, okay, great. and some and some things have already some things have already shifted. I don't have any idea how many people who are listening. There's a there's a there's more than 800 playtest groups who who are in the wow. playtest. Okay. I actually think that sev I think a certain sector of them aren't playing, but we're interested, very interested in reading what's going on. Sure. Um, yeah. And so, and then around 150 have given very, you know, playtest reports. Um, wow. Things that I can think of quickly, like, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the question I was just going to ask, so Sly Flourish asks, what are the big three ah. changes uh, between first and second edition of 13th Age? So, and I understand like you're testing at the moment, so things are in flux, but if we... Yeah, what are the what are the key big differences in second uh, between sure. first edition? I'm going to name 
I'm going to name two or three as, mm-hmm. as they, they, they occur to me, and I'm not positive yet, which is the biggest. Um, mm-hmm. there, I started the project very much because one of the things the game does, it is one of the, a game that says when you rise in level, you frequently get to choose something, at least mm-hmm. a feat, possibly a spell, possibly something called a uh, possibly possibly powers maneuvers for certain classes, and um, when I there was a actually a, a British uh, Osprey publishes a um, oh yeah a miniatures game called uh, Frostgrave, and mm-hmm. when I saw the second edition of Frostgrave, Frostgrave had done something really fun, which is where it stayed completely compatible except for a page, but the author attempted to take the powers that didn't really work well and that nobody wanted to choose because that's a competitive miniatures game mm-hmm, and to make yeah. them interesting. And really, um, second edition started with that goal. Um, I could go through several of the classes and with the hindsight of 10 years, realize that this was a D, this was a C, this was a D, this was, oh, look, the character actually has a B. You know, how wonderful for them. And so. You know, and 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 to know and talk with people and say, hey, have you ever have you ever had a ranger who takes this? And the answer is no. You know, at which okay. point you're like, then that power and that if it's going to be in the game and it's going to be taking um, space on the page, ideally it's going to be fun. And so the goal, my starting goal, was to go ahead and make to give people more interesting choices about mm-hmm. what. What, what their characters would be like and to stop making dead ends where sure. I, we, a sucker trap, you know, take this power because it looks great. On the other hand, if you really pay attention, you'll be sorry, but you know, maybe, yeah. So don't make people be forced to like role play um, to, to, to role play in effectiveness as a good thing, unless mm-hmm. they really want to. Sure. So yeah. Anyway. And, then, and honestly, the weird part about it is I think an awful time, a lot of times, things like that aren't always fully visible because mm-hmm. players are players frequently choose things that make sense to them. And mm-hmm. that means that those things which aren't that great get less play in the first place. So my goal, my goal though, is to like make things uh, to to bring not every power up to the level of the strongest power because that just gets crazy. But to make everything worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that even between, like, uh, I can say that between the first draft of second edition and the second draft, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jonathan has been spending time making sure that magic items actually are, we've, we've come up with an interesting way to say that magic items that you get early in your career can still be interesting, even at Epic okay. Tier. Um, okay. And, and to make all the different um, slots that you can get magic items and to make them all worthwhile. Because we had a situation where everybody would say, I want a magic weapon, I want some armor, and the rest of the stuff, I'm not, whatever, you know? And we're now, I think, and even in the second draft compared to the first, it'll be more interesting and the choices will be be better there. Um, Mm -hmm. There are probably, there's gonna be some things that look fairly different um, that are, that maybe don't, bizarrely don't make that much of a difference but they 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 matter and one of them is for example um this is one that people who are playtesting first edition i'm sorry who are playtesting the alpha draft uh haven't seen yet Um, okay so we're probably like we always had the idea that um when we started out we we called our our elves and our dwarves and our halflings races the Mm -hmm. um second draft calls them kin and mm-hmm. everybody, and uh, it's been really, really fun to be supplying kin powers to give people a choice of what their halfling or their wood elf is like. And sure. and um, that we have a lot more of that in the Bravo draft. Um, but we always had the idea before that, like, well, you got a plus two bonus to an ability. This is very D&D. Plus two mm-hmm. bonus to an ability, one ability score chosen sure. by your class, because your class would give you a couple, and another plus two um, from your kin. And mm-hmm. at the moment, we we're just we've gone away from that. We're just basically okay. saying you can go ahead and use two plus two ability scores, and you can mm-hmm. put them anywhere you want. So that basically, we're making it so that all the various kin have a pretty good chance of like being as good at any class as you want them to be. And um, and we don't 
and and we realize that with our standard array, like you know, that we're providing with stats, we mm -hmm. don't actually need to um, to have the segregation of the plus two here and the plus two there. It can okay. just be up to the players. And sure. I think that, boy, this is not working very well when I wave my hands. I'm gonna like stand. Stay still. <laughs> still a little bit more. All right. So uh, I, th I think that that's an example of the kind of things we're doing in the second draft where we're, mm -hmm. we've been taking, this is a lot of really good feedback from people mm -hmm. and some, and a lot of it pointed in that direction. Um, and we're, we've got uh, the icon relationship rules. We got really good feedback. We're going to be, uh, I, you know, I think Sly Flourish, Mr. Mr. Shea asked, uh, Mm -hmm. Shia, Shia, probably Michael Shia. I'm going to say that. I think I'm mm -hmm. probably wrong. <laughs> uh, what can you say? You said you have better guidance around that. Yeah. So, there's, so somebody has asked about the icon relationship dice and what's kind of being done differently in second uh, through to first. The one of the fun. This is a. I'm going to say this is fun, but actually, I'm a sort of a perverse person. Okay. Okay. And I should, and I should never flash. And I should never. Well, I should never qualify what I'm about to say as quote fun. The okay. crazy thing about first edition was is mm -hmm. that although everybody, although we had icon relationship rules in it, and everybody knew that was a major part of the indie thing. If you asked mm -hmm. different tables, mm -hmm. how do you use the icon relationship rules? You could probably have asked. Like I did. You know, I, I talked to um, five really people who I knew who were GMs who were really, really good at it, who like went ahead and all have been running games for years. Mm -hmm. None of them had anything like the same approach to using those icon relationship rules. Mm -hmm. Partly, and there's some, there's probably several reasons. Um, one of the things we're doing in this next edition is we're trying to give, we're going to be giving a default, our normal system, mm -hmm. which we think more people will find useful. Okay. And um, uh, I think it actually resembled, there was a play tester. You know, we had a version of the alpha draft that was really clever because I, and I use clever in a pejorative way here because <laughs> it was me, it was me saying, you know, having you roll 3d6 and any I dice that matched, you got that many relationship, you got a relationship there. And it's like, oh, so, mm -hmm. no, actually it was the high roll. I, it was like, don't do that. We're going to go back to using the idea that you roll fives and sixes once a day, you roll your icon mm -hmm. relationships once a day. And um, if you don't roll any at all, um, Jessica, I don't know, I don't think, I'm not making sense to you. you let's imagine you have three points uh -huh. with different icons, like the priestess, the emperor, the sure. diabolist. You'll roll for each of them once a day. Okay. If you don't get a five or a six with any of those dice, you mm -hmm. then get a conflicted relationship automatically okay. with some random icon. And so that the good part of what we did in the alpha draft is that everybody mm -hmm. always had at least one, but that this system will go ahead and handle that too. You're always going to have at least one icon relationship. Um, you might sometimes, depending on whether or not a GM likes the idea of getting it randomly mm -hmm. from the entire scope, you might do that. Or the GM can also choose to say, no, it's going to be from the one of the ones you already have. And I think this is a sort mm -hmm. of an example of how we're trying to approach the mechanics this time around. We're going to give mechanics that we think are closer to real, mm -hmm. but we're going to give options in there, recognizing, look, some people like this, some people like the other style. You can choose which version of this you want to go ahead and use. There Excellent. will be, you know, uh, Jonathan has an alternative system that he likes mm -hmm. to use um, that so I think some other people will also like, and we'll be basically covering that. Um, mm -hmm either in the appendix probably or in the rules i'm not sure mm -hmm. which and uh there are certain rules things i would say that uh the second edition has been very interesting um yeah. i was having trouble sort out with jonathan like do we agree mm -hmm. on this because i don't think we do and oh, interesting. Um, mm -hmm. well the one of the features of the original game is that uh we argue in the text and frequently <laughs> yeah. talk about how one of us convinced the other one to do something sure. and um in this particular case, with the icon relationships, for example, we may end up disagreeing, but disagreement is part of our brand. And cool. um, if we, and so when we disagree about particular things, mm -hmm. we're just being as clear as possible about what the disagreement is and what the two choices are. Um, and giving people options, sure. It, it's and in certain places you can give people you can give people mm -hmm. options, and it actually really helps. Um, mm -hmm. Icon relationships 
needed more examples than we mm -hmm. gave them in either the original book or in the first draft. And it needed more examples um, that can help beginning tables. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the strangest things, I will say this is strange for me, is that the second edition playtest is mm -hmm. not just for people who've played the first game. The second mm -hmm. edition playtest is full of groups whose only previous experience is playing fifth edition, um, or in some cases, also fourth and also mm -hmm. third. Um, and the feedback we've got from them is very mm -hmm. much that we needed to be a lot clearer about what's going on with icon relationships and why tables that are unaccustomed to using anything like a, um, a narrative um, a narrative contribution from players, how that will work for sure. people. I, and I honestly, mm -hmm. it's it's there's possibly the case that um, there are some tables that just don't that are there are some tables playing Thirteenth Age and loving it mm -hmm. without interacting with the icon relationship rules at all. Sure. I mean, it's like I've got people, I've got I don't know at least four or five playtest reports back from people going, you know what, we just ignore them. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you do, we don't care because we're going to play the game without them. And you know, we we got sure. it. And and then in the spirit of the the toolkit, that's great. You mm -hmm. know, it's like I'm happy you're playing the game and loving it, and I and the part of the rules that are problematic to you, you're you're you find are completely unnecessary. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, but my mission is to go ahead and make the, make those pieces of the rules more fun for more people. Um, mm -hmm. so. Sounds like a yep. good plan. Um, so we, we're talking a bit about the differences from first edition to second edition yep. and some people will be brand new and jump in on second edition, which is great. Um, but a lot of people will have come from first edition to second edition. And one of the keynotes you mentioned was it's going to be backwards compatible, um, and so somebody has asked, uh, do you have any like guidance about converting, um, you know, first edition classes to second edition, um, you know, and that sort of process? So some people have questions about, you know, converting and the backwards compatibility. I think I got distracted by reading the question while you were talking about it. That's fine. Are, the you, are, the you, actually, yes. are you actually, are you asking Jay's question right there or, or was it sort of related to that a little bit more? It was Let's sort of related see. to that and a little bit more. It was generally about being backwards compatible and guidance for converting, ah. you know, things from first edition to second edition. Okay. Second edition, for example, has the idea that when a spellcaster casts a spell, they cast it at their own level. Mm -hmm. So um, in, the, in the past, we were doing the D&D &D style thing frequently of having first at first, third, fifth, seventh, you got new spells and those are the level of the spells. Mm -hmm. And because our game let other characters improve every level, like as you gained at sixth level fighter would do more damage with their weapons, but a um, sixth level sorcerer, sixth level wizard really didn't. Like they mm -hmm. were still casting the fifth level spells. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, you know, it's an, as an experiment and also simplifying what it's like to build a spellcaster instead of having to track. Sure. I have three first level spells while I'm a ninth level character. No, that's not so fun. So we went, we've gone ahead and sh we're changing it to you cast spells at your own level. Now, the character <laughs> classes that we published before, because we published some other character classes in 13 True Ways, don't have that feature. It's not that difficult to suggest the mathematical thing that you, you do to, to make the conversion. And, and we, mm -hmm. we definitely will suggest that. Okay. I'm not entirely positive to the extent with things that are actually hey, if you're playing with this uh, thing we did previously and you can't, you need to know um, this change, like we'll prob, like how do you, inter okay, how do you interpret the word vulnerable? If we change the meaning of the word vulnerable, mm -hmm. how are you going to use that um, sure. previously? For stuff yeah. like that, that absolutely belongs in the core book. Mm -hmm. For things that are sort of, updates of books like mm -hmm. updating the classes in 13 true ways that might not like if it's just a mathematical adjustment that might not belong in in the that doesn't belong in the core book um mm -hmm. and it it's definitely belongs on the web it definitely you know can it be linked to in an appendix it probably mm -hmm. doesn't belong in the actual book but we do you know we will be providing as much guidance yeah. as we can about how to use um how to use the uh, things that were published under the first edition 
mm-hmm. while playing with the second edition rules. I mean, my, my point is I don't want to tell people, oh, you have to buy 13 true ways again. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to tell people that although all those adventures you bought before, uh, they don't really work anymore. You know, that's terrible. And I, I know when I say that, it's like, how could I say that given that that's how frequent, so frequently how we actually publish things in the industry. But that's mm-hmm. my feeling. I don't want to yeah. do that. I want to be able to say, please use the earlier adventure. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. Crown of Axis and Eyes of the Stone Thief should still be perfectly useful. Mm-hmm. I may have to provide some conversion notes yeah. to help with that. And I'm hoping that the goal is to have them not be that big. Perfect. There were a couple things. I don't want to get too deep into the math, but I will say there were, sure. we tried some experiments in the first version, the alpha playtest packet. And some of those experiments with math don't look like they worked as well as they should have for people. And therefore mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, I suspect we're going to be simplifying things so that it looks a lot closer to what was there before so that people don't, you know, it won't be as much of a conversion shock at all. Um, and so when when Jay asked, would be great to see the process, I suspect that any discussion of that will will have notes about the process. I just don't know Excellent. that it belongs inside. I don't think it belongs as part of the core book yeah. precisely. Yeah. No, but so, there will be resources available so people can, can do that. And maybe your blog would be a great place if people wanted to see the behind the scenes of the uh, how mathematically that works and things like that as well. Maybe something you'd be writing about there. Um, very very incredibly smooth, Jessica. Thank you, thank you for putting my thanks. <laughs> You're right. That is good. That that will be a great place for it. Um, All right. I'll just link that I, there. So links are in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast as well. Yeah. I think that one of the big things that um, one of the big differences uh, that Mike asked about between first mm-hmm. and second is uh, the very first. This is an interesting question still that we maybe haven't fully identified. The sure. first line of the first edition said, "Hey, guess what? This isn't a this isn't a book for inexperienced game masters. Mm-hmm. It is a book for inexperienced players. Like, the, with the, but we're not going to teach you all about role playing. And um, there were certain things we took for granted in the core in the first book. Mm-hmm. And what that kind of meant. And I, I I'm going to like point a finger at myself and most people, you know, <laughs> uh, by taking those things for granted, it mm-hmm. took away." Uh, I, I suppose I felt less requirement to be crystal clear <laughs> and provide helpful flowcharts and mm-hmm. uh, guidance that would actually really, really help people. And mm-hmm. doing the alpha playtest packet has definitely revealed that we need to be, there's, there's, there's tables and there's diagrams and things mm-hmm. that we just barely made use of in the original 13th age and made no use of in the first packet. And there's going to be a lot more of that because it would okay. be help more helpful to have um, newcomers be able to pick it up, even if they aren't ready to run it, to read yeah. it and understand clearly what's going on. That'll yeah. be a change. Definitely. Um, we have a question as well that I think was interesting, kind of related to that. And it was about, are you interested in bringing in more kind of indie mechanics into second edition uh, and advice on kind of fail forward mechanics in general uh, for people that are used to other D20 games that don't kind of encourage it in the same way that 13th Age does? Um. We definitely will have more advice on the fail forward mechanics and mm-hmm. partially because, I mean, that was another place where we didn't, I think we just sort of waved our, we gave a couple examples. Um, in between doing 13th Age and now working on second edition, Jonathan and I did 13th Age Glorantha together. And mm-hmm. working on that book, we, I'll just, I believe we did a much yeah. Is there anything in second to draw the work? Yes. <laughs> uh, and we did a better job in 13th Age Glorantha explaining the analog of the um, of icon relationships uh, of of the um, the runes in Glorantha. And mm-hmm. so I believe you know we'd sort of benefited from having done it once, and then we did it a second time, and we actually it was much clearer and with a lot more examples. Um, we need more examples. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's sort of like the funny thing is, it's like on the on our to do list. It's just this is just like a lot of places where examples here, more examples, more examples. Um, mm-hmm. As far as specifically more indie, um, right now I'm going to say that I'm not going to promise that it's going to be more specifically indie style 
things in the core book because I have we haven't we haven't added them yet. Um, I think that it's possible, and I'm not going to make it. And I'm not going to like address whether or not like handle the the way we'll be handling relationships, icon relation sure. uh, relationships mm -hmm. might just be better that way. Um, we probably we'll, there'll be more advice about how to specifically set up your campaigns to focus on specific themes and specific ideas. And I think that's more typical. That's something that I'm not going to say it's typical of indie games, but it's it, it, instead of playing with just the same one giant sandbox where everything, mm -hmm. everything is possible. Um, Jonathan in particular is really interested in campaigns that use a smaller number of icons or that mm -hmm. stay focused in a specific area. And I think that we'll be, we'll be addressing that. Um, okay. in a lot more detail. Um, there was a good question right there that came in while I was talking, and I'm not sure. Oh, it was Glantha. Uh Yes, any inspiration that, that came from that that's coming into second edition, they were asking. Well, the first answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Next question. No, no, I'm yeah. joking. Carry on, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. that might be fine, because the truth yeah. is that, let me think about that. In Glorantha, we got to see some examples of... Mm -hmm what happens when you make a certain type of mechanic really work. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, I think one reason why there might be less direct relationship is this. Um, the Gloranthan character classes were pretty complicated um, in many cases. A couple of them aren't, but overall they're fairly complicated. And one of the things that we're, we're trying to do in this particular core book is even there's mechanics in Glorantha that, are, that just seem too complex to put in the core book of 13th Age. Okay. Um, and having said that, my goal is to do another book in the near future, which has a whole bunch of character classes. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things about that book will be, they won't all be full character classes with dozens of choices. Mm -hmm. Some of them will be much more focused, saying, if you want to play this character, there's probably one way to play it, or two at most, you know, instead of the five or six ways of, of playing different characters. And that, therefore, that these characters, I wouldn't call them a mini, and maybe they're a mini character, but there's something, they're totally different than the character classes that exist in 13th Age right now. They're much more of an, a specific experience, and they mm -hmm. they would be pulling a, quite a bit more from the Gloranthan stuff. Um, okay perhaps, than what is in this book. Brilliant. Okay, so, and someone mentioned as well any hints about for future games. There's uh, already one there for you, so for future books for 13th Age 2nd Edition already. Um, but, Rob, shall we talk about monsters? Tell me about monsters in 2nd Age. Uh, 13th Age 2nd Edition. <laughs> Not 2nd Age. The 2nd Age of 13th Age, if you will. <laughs> Overarching changes. There are, give me a second, because no I've been thinking problem. about what the, um, getting my various. Various brains together. We've had, uh, I'll pop up another question on the screen while well, you're thinking the, about the, the, monsters, about related to monsters. Because they're talking about in the playtest, you've got different traits for monster roles. Um, and they're asking if you would do the same for kin powers, um, you know, that aren't called oh. like early kin. So. Okay. So wait a minute. That's a fair, that's a death metal bar. That is a fairly funny jump. Mm -hmm. All right. This core book is almost certainly not the place to go ahead and really go into details about characters like the Alleykin that showed up mm -hmm. in the book, Book of Ages. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if we do the book I want to do, which is a book that I call the other, I call this book further. It's a, it's a, you know, I've been told it's a terrible title by some people, but I still keep calling it. I call it Further Adventurers, which, you know, terrible okay. title. All right, fine. Anyway, that book definitely has things for people like the Alley Kim that are in um, mm -hmm. uh, Book of Ages. Um, and it definitely has things for, uh, probably for characters that are in 13 True Ways. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, but, and I say this partially because <laughs> Pilgrim, I mean, look, uh, oh, Pelgrain, if you're watching this, I mean, clearly by publishing a book like Swords of the Serpentine, there's actually, in Fall of Delta Green, there's actually mm -hmm. no actual page limit for a Pelgrain book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think I feel cat strangling me through the through the computer screen. But no, there is actually a page limit. And mm -hmm. with all the things we'd like to do and could do in a core book for 13th Age, it, you know, we have to like, we have to cut some things out. Now, one of the sure. weird things we've discovered I'm going to come back to the question. 
-hmm. have discovered bizarrely that an awful lot of our early advice, like that we we've spent pages sometimes that turned out to be like a two paragraphs of advice about something mm -hmm. that was wrong or useless. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, it was nice of us to say that stuff, but it turns out that is really not the most important thing to say about this topic. So mm -hmm. we've actually cut out a whole bunch of pages of advice and ideas that weren't actually that mm -hmm. good. And I don't think any, and honestly, so far in the playtest feedback, nobody noticed, right? Nobody's it's missed like it. Okay. No, nobody's missed it because, <laughs> they, because after reading it once, people might've thought, oh, I guess that's true. And then after they played a while, if they saw that sentence again, they thought to themselves, huh, I don't think that's right. And they were right. It wasn't, you know, so, so first of all, we do have some more space then, mm -hmm. you know, we, we aren't reprinting everything. We're not just, you know, okay, re you know, package the mm -hmm. old stuff and put it in. No, we're, we're rethinking and rewriting things. Um, mm -hmm. Having said that, this is funny. I think I need, hold on a minute. I need a drink. <laughs> no problem. All right. So the question then, since I'm, the, the question about Alleykin is no, you asked about monsters. Yes. Tell me about there's monsters. An, well, there's yeah. a lot more advice about how to use them. Mm-hmm. There's a recognition, you know, we made some mistakes, like we made little mooks, little monsters called mooks, mm -hmm. borrowed from Feng Shui, mm -hmm. but giving a player, giving the GM a bunch of creatures and calling them all mooks isn't really that helpful because some mooks are mm -hmm. different than other mooks. And so, sure. you know, of course, we should give mook, tell, tell GMs what the, the mooks roles are. Um, we don't actually want to change monster math that much mm -hmm. because the monster math is what's printed in adventures that from the previous, you know, from our, our earlier adventures. And we don't all of a sudden want to have a whole bunch of monsters that use completely different math. Sure. Yeah. Now the core book, uh, the core book in the same way that the core book had a bunch of, um, had a bunch of character powers that maybe weren't up to grade. Mm -hmm. um, I can actually point to a whole bunch of monsters where we forgot what the math was when we created them the first time. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> and, like, and, you know, they just, you know, it's like, why do I always feel disappointed when I use that monster? Oh, because it's math was wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it's ineffective. So, well, we'll, so those creatures will be changed. There'll be a lot more nastier specials, which okay. is sort of how game masters up gun things without doing more math and having to say, I want to add a, you know, I want to do a bunch of hit point conversions and whatever. You can go ahead and make your creatures a lot deadlier and a lot and interesting mm -hmm. by going ahead and like using nastier specials. And so it's sort of like optional variants. So there'll be a lot more of those. Mm -hmm. There'll also be. I think although we don't want to change the monster math, we are suggesting that an adventuring day is either four battles or also three battles. Mm -hmm. um, and in the past, we always oriented things towards four. But but when you start playing with monsters um, that are thrown in you know, a higher level because they're, there's only expecting three battles, that makes a big difference. Um, mm -hmm. I actually... We we I think people have already seen this in the second edition, but I I, I have to confirm that. But we mm -hmm. understand now where some of our earlier monsters were too did too much damage with one die roll, and okay. that that is a very very good way to kill player characters, um, because critical hits that do double damage, which is what we've got. Mm -hmm. So we have some there's there are some conversion mm -hmm. notes that some people I, I think actually I've heard okay Tim Baker. Um, our friend who runs Escalation um, mm -hmm. has been killing char player characters. And one of the, in one case, I think it was a kill because he was using an older monster that actually has damage, does damage outside the parameters we would suggest. Um, and I mean, play the, the, the standard fight that, that goes on between, okay, when I say standard fight, in the pages uh -huh. of 13th Age, if you read 13th Age, you'll get the impression possibly that Jonathan is a hard ass <laughs> um, who wants who wants to kill player characters, and right, and and that I'm some type of softy. Okay, you're just a nice person that wants people to play a nice game, maybe survive, get to be a hero. Believe that in sort fun. Of thing. Believe in okay, fun. Yeah, at least. believe yeah. in fun. Sure. And what's pretty funny to me is that now that we're here deep into the second edition, 
Mm-hmm. There are, I mean, Jonathan, obviously, by making magic items more interesting mm-hmm. and actually more useful, he's, yeah. you know, the other day he said something about, oh, my God, if the if the people who I ran games for in high school could see me right now, I don't think they would know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that was pretty funny. But then simultaneously, Jonathan's like, I just feel terrible when people get killed by surprise and lose their character by surprise. Maybe we should just yeah. make crits a lot more common, like three or four times more common so that they just die more often. And I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the you know, solution. That's not the point. And well, you know, I mean, he may have, he may have a something there, but I'm, I'm now teasing him when he's not here to defend himself, but. Oh, of course, I'm, the best time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, a link to that, someone has said, so well, if the monster math is staying consistent and uh, player damage and recoveries is higher in Epic tier, should players expect Epic tier to be easier on the players? This is a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. I'm not, okay, right now, I'm not exactly positive how we're going to handle the Epic tier math because I ended up, okay. uh, I'm not quite, I'm not quite liking where it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the way the game worked before, Mm-hmm. The epic tier characters, many of them were all were getting shortchanged, so that the balance that people know right now um, worked clearly, and, and game masters like it was easy enough to make it work, um, and people did. Um, so it's possible. So it's possible that there's something very complex going on in the interaction. Um, one mm-hmm. thing that I've noticed, and that I that we're this is something that's going to change. Oh yeah, he he wanted a big change to monsters here. I'm pretty sure this is an example of the target is moving. I think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. in our games, we tend to use average damage after we get to adventurer tier. I'm sorry, after okay. we get to champion tier. Like okay. the lower level characters, I'm perfectly happy rolling three or four dice um, for damage or whatever. When you get up to rolling five and six dice, like it's too much. It slows things down. Mm-hmm. And we we have an awful lot of comments on our playtest feedback that are about, you know, this character has too many multi-attacks because it takes too long to roll all the damage. And I'm thinking, oh, crap. We haven't actually rolled all that damage for years. We're playing differently. Mm-hmm. We're playing totally differently than than people who are not playing on, uh, like, the Forge or Roll20, you know, because they'll have cool. die rollers. And we're playing... Mm-hmm. And so we are no longer, you know, when roll, we would never roll 16 dice, even in our craziest time. So if that's true, we have to stop saying 16 dice, figure out the average every time, mm-hmm. you know, come on, you can do math. That's not very helpful to people. I can't right? do math. No, we can't. No, no, no. It's, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually the next edition, the Bravo edition will mm-hmm. almost certainly have average, average math. Average results mm-hmm. printed by places um, to say you probably shouldn't be rolling the dice here because it's, and in certain cases it'll say hey it'll say hey if you really want to roll a dice right this time this uh-huh. is a highly dramatic power to, to roll it on mm-hmm. whereas some other places will be saying no don't don't have the fighter <laughs> roll separate you know roll for every single one of these um, roll for damage unless but if you do. Now there are people who just can't hear that. I mean, I play with people. Mm-hmm. No, um, up until a couple years ago, I think mean, not right this second, but I play with a play with a guy who would never ever not roll his dice. He's gonna roll the dice no matter what, and that's rolling we dice is to, fun. We just all have to understand <laughs> rolling dice is fun, and apparently so is adding up numbers one at a time. <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. some people, for some people, for some people, people. roll and different. The, yeah, and in that particular case, I was able to like go ahead and look at them and go, oh, thirty-seven you know, pretty quickly. And so that helps things move along, but mm-hmm. it's still like, we, we, we have to be crystal clear. If you are going to be real at Epic tier, if you are going to be rolling all these dice every time, mm-hmm. your game will go a lot slower. If you use so. the average. Now it's also possible. There is ways to make average more interesting. Like some mm-hmm. people just don't like it. Um, I sure. personally, you know, a, a sidebar that's not appearing anymore in uh, because it appeared in first edition was mm-hmm. that I I resisted average damage. I mm-hmm. didn't want to do it. I thought that it was important to roll every single die. And I'm wrong. Or I no longer feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know which is which is which. But anyway, it's like it, it the variance between mm-hmm. hitting, missing, critting, fumbling, and then the different results we have built in if you 
like if you roll a 16 plus this happens um if you you know roll and uh those or roll even or roll odd those things make enough of a difference that um it you know that it you can deal with average damage mm -hmm. but if we have a great you know for a lot that is definitely i it'll be interesting to find out like mm -hmm. if people um easily go along with that or some people won't probably um well, someone in the chat has already said they're a huge fan of averages because it speeds the game up. So, so definitely, definitely the case there. Um, Rob, average, I... for, average for crits will be double. You oh, should, there we go. Uh, Charles, uh, that, and the question mark is, I, I feel like doing double is math that's simple enough that it's okay, but I hope that's the truth. Well, I might struggle with that sometimes, in honesty. <laughs> but um, that said, Rob, I'm very aware of the time. I feel like you could probably talk about this with me for another hour or so, but I'm aware I only asked you to come on the show for an hour. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna wrap us up here. Um, okay. So as we mentioned before, 13th Age, second edition is in playtest right now. Um, if people have more questions or I didn't get to those in the chat, where's a good place for them to go to... To, to engage, to learn more about it. Is your blog the best place for that? Or Well, the weird part is, I li I'd like to say I'm going to be writing about it more on my blog. As far as okay. the communication spot, it's not necessarily ideal. Okay. Um, the address I use for um, stuff about the playtest is 13thAgePlaytest mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. gmail.com. And people okay. can email me there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on, I mean, I'm still on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, at Rob Hainso, and mm -hmm. certainly there's been some communication there. Um, I got in on a Mastodon account, and I recognize that I haven't yet I haven't yet opened it because I realized that my my skills at playing social networks are way lower than they should be. So I don't, yeah, okay. I haven't been Fair there yet. Enough. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, who knows? I may be moving there at some point. Um, haven't haven't done much there yet. But yeah, at Rob okay. Hainso gets me for sure. Um, Brilliant, yeah. and um we i wanted to mention something mm -hmm. if people want now to sign up for the play test since we mm -hmm. had the first packet out in november i'm mm -hmm. really asking people now to wait until we finish the second packet okay like, i'm happy to bring people in um but the the note i'll send will say hey the second packet i'll send you all the information Okay, great. So keep an eye on the blog. And when you're ready to have new people come in, maybe you'll post it on there so people know, yeah. uh, know where right. to jump in. I will definitely do that. Yep. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge about the, the industry, <laughs> uh, about games. Uh, the last question I ask everybody is if you have any recommendations for another tabletop RPG. And the rule is it can't be Dungeons and Dragons because of the name of the show. And it can't be a game that you've worked on or written because we've just spent an hour talking about 13th Age. So do you have oh. any recommendations for other games? During the pandemic, I played a lot of Aegon, uh, which mm -hmm. is John Harper's game about Greek heroes. Um, yep. And it was fun to like have different groups um setting out the different islands and that was mm -hmm. a I, I enjoyed that quite a bit that was good um okay. there's a my friend and uh the developer of 13th age named jm defogey has a game called jackals that osprey published oh cool which is taking advantage of jm's um masters in i let's call them dead middle eastern languages i don't know if, i think they're pretty much all very old okay. uh, and so he said that's the setting and mm -hmm. um i have not played jackals i've just read it and there's a couple mm -hmm. of mechanics in there that i thought were pretty clever and i want him to run it for me it's on your uh, to playlist then, on my yeah. to playlist we all have a big part of those games yeah <laughs> yeah and there's another game on my to playlist mm -hmm. which actually is sitting right here in front of me oh okay I don't know. have you played let's see if i can show this Maybe not. No, no, it won't. No, it the, won't. the stream won't let All right. us see it. No, no, no. No. All right. Dialect, a game about language okay. and how it dies. Do you, hear, do you know that one? I Build don't know that one, but it sounds interesting. As somebody who's Welsh, that concept is very interesting to me to see how languages I think go and come you back. might so, yeah. be curious about trying this one. Several okay. Kevin Culp and Kat said at the point at the when I got it that it was the best game they played that year. And mm -hmm. um I'm looking at it, realizing that I'm going to play it with people who I can play it with gamers, I think. And I can play it with people who aren't gamers at all, who will be, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of, um, really excited to like be in both. I think it will work for both. So I'm looking okay. forward to that. 
Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much for those recommendations. And Rob, thank you so much for your time and coming on and sharing 13th Age uh, Second Edition with us. As you say, on EM World, as voted as one of the most anticipated tabletop role-playing games of the year. So we're really excited to see how it evolves in playtesting. Um, Great. And thank you to everyone that came along and watched as well. We will be back with Not D&D next week. We have Dre Dragon from Possum Creek Games coming on to talk about Yaziba's Bed and Breakfast. Um, and we're here every Monday talking about different uh, tabletop RPGs that are not Dungeons & Dragons. Um, but that's all this week. Uh, so we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much. Good. Good. Bye-bye.